We're in Genesis chapter 6, and today I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to actually read the whole chapter uh, because it's important. It's a great story. The Bible says in verse 1, Now it came to pass when men began to multiply in the face of the earth, and daughters were born to them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were beautiful, and they took wives for themselves of all whom they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, for he is indeed flesh. Yet his days shall be 120 years. There were giants on the earth in those days and also afterward, when the sons of daughters came in to the daughters of men and they bore children to them. Those were the mighty men who were of old men of renown. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping things and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. Now, I just want to let you know, next week we're going to be talking about the justice of God, and I'm going to deal with this whole section on uh, how God was sorry that he made man. Maybe your translation says that God regretted that he made man. If you read the old King James, it says that God repented that he made man, uh, but we need to just really discover what exactly that means. Obviously a difficult situation. There is a silver lining in the cloud though. The Bible says in verse eight, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Somebody say amen to that today. This is the genealogy of Noah. Noah was a just man, perfect in his generations. Noah walked with God, and Noah begot three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. The earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. So God looked upon the earth, and indeed it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, the end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them, and behold, I will destroy them with the earth." Make yourself an ark of gopher wood, make rooms in the ark, and cover it inside and outside with pitch. And this is how you shall make it. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits, it's width 50 cubits, and its height 30 cubits. By the way, a cubit is about 18 inches. You can do the calculations later on. You shall make a window for the ark, and you shall finish it to a cubit from above, and set the door of the ark in its side. You shall make it with lower, second, and third decks, and behold... I myself am bringing floodwaters on the earth to destroy from under heaven all flesh in which is the breath of life. Everything that is on the earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you and you shall go into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female, of the birds after their kind, of animals after their kind, and of every creeping thing of the earth after its kind. Two of every kind will come to you to keep them alive. And you shall take for yourself of all food that is eaten, and you shall gather it to yourself, and it shall be food for you and for them. And then wrapping this up, maybe the, one of the most important verses, thus... Noah did according to, what does it say? All that God commanded him, so he did. And Father, thank you today for the story of Noah. And God, we ask today that you would especially strengthen those who might be 
struggling in their faith, God walking through challenging and difficult times, God maybe even wrestling with you, maybe working through questions, unanswered questions that they have. Father, we pray today that through the, the, the Holy Spirit that you would strengthen our faith. God, that you would cause the roots of our faith to go deep in you. God, we would leave this place lifted up. God, today that the hands and arms that hang down would be raised in praise. God, today the, the knees and the legs that are weak and feeble would be strengthened to walk with you. God, in these difficult times, we pray that you would raise up your children for such a time as this. In Jesus' name, amen. You can have a seat today. <clears throat> Listen, no study of Noah's life would be, would be complete without some really bad Noah jokes. And so I wanted to share a couple uh, with you today. If you don't like them, don't get mad at me because they're not original. And if you know the answer, don't shout it out. So here's joke number one. Where did Noah keep his bees? In the archives. <laughs> I, I'm not pausing for a, a, applause. <laughs> I just wanted to see your reaction. Uh, this, is, this is a good one. Only two today, okay? The, the, the next one. Who is the greatest financier from the Bible? Me. <laughs> Noah was because he was floating all of his stock while everyone else was in liquidation. <laughs> Isn't that good? I thought that was good. That was, that was a good one. All the rest were not worthy of you guys, so I decided... You know, look, I, I think with Noah, I think we're going to take a di little different angle on Noah today um, because I do think sometimes when we consider Noah's life, you know, we have kind of a, a flannel gram image of Noah's journey of faith. If you grew up in children's ministry, you know what a flannel gram is. They uh, for sure don't use those anymore. But, you know, if you uh, raise kids and you wanted to really invest Bible stories in them, sometimes you'd have a small um, Noah booklet that you'd open up, really short stories with maybe pop-out figures and things like that. But it always seemed to present, all of the stories seemed to present Noah in a way where it was like his journey of faith was simple, like there was no adversity. You know, God comes, says, build an ark, takes Noah seven days, builds an ark. By the way, it's not seven days, but you know, that's kind of the impression. And it's all rose, rosy and beautiful, and there's no adversity or difficulty, and all the animals come. And it's like a, it's like a cruise, you know, what, pick your cruise line is like a cruise as Noah's hanging there with the, with the giraffes and the hippopotamuses, you know, however you pluralize that word, hippopotami, hippopotamuses, I don't know. But, it, but it's almost like they're having this glorious adventure and it's all smooth sailing. Uh, and of course, you know, when they're on the ark, there's dead bodies floating all over the place, decaying and being, you know, eaten by maybe, you know, flying animals in the world or, or however it works. But we have this view that Noah's life was just simple, and it wasn't simple. It was not an easy trajectory of faith. It was filled with great difficulty and adversity. And I'm glad that we're talking about Noah today because, you know, we're going through difficult times as well. I'm not saying that they're the same, but the truth is this, there's a lot of adversity that we're facing in this world and I think it's important for us to consider how we keep our faith during difficult times. 
because you know we are living in difficult times. You know that there is adversity in a very unique way that has touched all of our lives. I mean, how many times in the history of the world can you say that there are things that we literally globally are all going through together? It's a very unique time, I, I believe, that we're in. You know, and just from the perspective of our, our own country, I'm not sure we've been in a time where we've all been affected by difficulty like this since World War II. And I'm not comparing the two. I'm just saying that there's real adversity that we're dealing with, and it is impacting the church. I don't know if you guys read a recent um, Gallup study, but they took a poll, and this is what they discovered, that U.S. church membership has fallen below 50% for the first time in the history of our country. Uh, this study went on to say this continued a decades-long decline in membership driven by growing numbers of Americans who express no religious affiliation. And so the difficult times that we, in, that we are in are having an impact. Um, it's, it's not just that. It's, it's also that there's great cultural upheaval all around us. That cultural up upheaval is affecting the church. There's fragmentation in churches. There's division in churches. I will say to you, for as long as I've been a Christian, I haven't seen the church as divided as it is today. And then listen, on top of that, we have our own adversity and difficulty that we're going through. And I'm familiar with many of you and what you're walking through. As I look out on this group today, I know some of you are battling cancer. I know some of you are struggling with finances. I know some of you are confronted with a, a vaccine mandate, which may mean the loss of your job. I know some of you have been battling thoughts of suicide and self-harm. I know some of you in your marriages are on the precipice of divorce. I know some of you have been struggling in your faith and you've been asking God, why? And God, where are you? And God, what about me? And in all of this, I think the story of Noah and the traje trajectory of his faith has a lot to say about how we can have a, a faith that flourishes in times of adversity. Think about Noah's life, right? Noah, it's not as if Noah was living in some enclave. It's not as if Noah was separated from how bad it was globally or in you know, the microcosm of the culture that he was living in. A couple of weeks ago, I said to you that you know, sin is, is kind of like taking a, a piece of bacteria and putting it in a Petri dish. You know, when you do that, you put the lid on, you set it away for seven days, then you take that Petri dish out of the drawer or wherever it was uh, put, and what you notice is that, you know, the bacteria has spread across the face of that Petri dish. It's just multiplied. And that was the situation that we find Noah in that sin had multiplied to the extent where wickedness and violence literally had covered the face of the earth, where God himself says that the thoughts and the intents of the heart of humanity was constantly set on evil. And Noah, it's not as if Noah was separated from all of this. Noah was living in this. And it was bad enough where it got to the extent that not only was God sorry, but God was grieving, God was broken over the condition of humanity, and it provoked him to justice, where he literally said, enough is enough, and judgment was coming to the earth. He discloses this to Noah. He lets Noah know how he sees things and what he's going to do. Now, 
Now, it would have been a real bummer for Noah if God said, hey, it's really bad, I'm grieved in my heart, and I'm, I'm wiping everything out, I'm killing everything. Like, if the story ended there, like, how would Noah, Noah's like, okay, you know, okay, but it doesn't end there. God says, hey, Noah, I'm going to, you have found grace in my eyes. I'm going to save you. I'm going to deliver you. I'm going to preserve you. And I'm not just going to save and deliver and preserve you. I'm going to save and deliver and preserve your whole family. And, and, and could you imagine in Noah's mind in that moment where it's like, oh, God, thank you, right? This is, this is Noah finding grace in the eyes of the Lord. And Noah's response was this, to live his life by faith to trust in God. Let me say to you today that faith is the right response to the grace of God. Faith is the right response to the grace of God. When God says to Noah, everybody collectively deserves justice, but Noah, you found grace in my eyes, and I'm going to preserve you, save you, and deliver you, you know his response was like, God, thank you. My life is yours. My life is yours. I'm going to choose to live my life by faith and do whatever it is that you tell me to do. And I want to say to you today that it's no different for us. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ today, I've got good news for you. You've been saved, you've been delivered, and God is going to faithfully preserve you in an eternal sense. Yes now, but in an eternal sense. Like God for sure has the right to say everyone collectively deserves eternal condemnation and separation from me. But because you've responded to the gospel and put your trust and faith in Jesus Christ, who is the ark, whom when you step into him by faith, you are saved, you are delivered, and you are preserved. And God says to you today, not only am I doing that now in your life, but I am doing that for all of eternity. You are going to live with me forever and ever and ever beyond the end of the age. And I'm saying to you today that the right response for us to the grace of God is faith. God, thank you that you've done this in my life. Thank you, God, that it is, it is your unmerited favor to me, the infinitely ill-deserving. Thank you, God, that you initiated it. Thank you, God, that you pursued me. Thank you, God, that you are relentless. Thank you, God, that you hunted me down by the work of your Holy Spirit and convicted me of my sin even when I was in rebellion against you. God, when I didn't want you. God, when I was demeaning to other Christians. When I was running away from you, when my hand was lifted in rebellion against you, God, you were softening my heart and you were working around me. Who am I that I would even be called your son or your daughter? And so what do we do? We say, God, my life belongs to you. Now, in times of difficulty, how can you have a faith that really flourishes? Today, as we consider Noah's life, we're going to take a look at three different things that we see in his life. I, I think there are three key ingredients that help us to have faith, help us to have, I have no idea what faith is, but that help us to have faith when things are difficult in our lives. Now, I'll tell you, you know, it's interesting as you read Genesis chapter 6, um, that it is all the command of God, and there aren't a lot of details about the trajectory of Noah's faith. We know that he was obedient. Uh, we know that he was faithful to complete command number one until he received command number two. We also know that there are other portions of Scripture in the New Testament that, that describe what it was that, was going, that Noah was going through at the time. So 
Number one is this. For you to have a faith that flourishes in difficult times, you need to have a faith that takes God's direction and, and starts moving. You need to have a faith that takes God's directions, like you hear it, you've understood it, and now you're going to act on it and starts moving. In fact, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 11, this, of course, is the great hall of faith. The author of the book said this, by faith Noah being divinely warned of the things not yet seen. So God gives a warning to Noah about things he's never even seen before. Noah's got no framework for the concept of a storm or a flood, a global deluge. These were all new things to him. What did Noah do? Well, he moved with godly fear, and he prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith." So God gives Noah direction, but, but Noah's got no framework. I mean, there are things that God is talking about and disclosing to Noah that he has absolutely never even heard before. But Noah hears the warning of God. He receives the command of God. And what does he do? The Bible says he is moved with holy fear. He begins to take steps of faith, to take steps of obedience. Now, I just want you to think about this. Noah took directions from God. He didn't give directions to God. Right? I mean, how many of us give directions to God? Raise your hand today and be honest, all right? Hey, your prayer time with God is a lot about how you think He should do things, how you think He should execute all the different ideas that you have for your life. And then you sp spend your time in prayer, you sp spend your time in prayer giving advice and counsel to God on how he can fulfill your dreams, plans, and ambitions. And I don't want to anthropomorphize, anthropomorphize God today, but I wonder if God sometimes is just like, are you done yet? <laughs> like, like, are you done yet? Because, you know, there's some things I'd like to say. There's some directions I would like to give, but you know the way it is sometimes in prayer. It's like we give all these directions, and then we do our 10-4 good buddy over and out, in Jesus' name, amen, and, and we're done. And God's like, yeah, what, what, wait, what, just, just a second. I've got a plan for your life. I've got some directions for you to take. You know, you can't, you can't walk by faith with God unless you're hearing His commands, because to hear God's commands means that you have an opportunity to be obedient. And as you choose to be obedient after you've heard the commands of God, that means now that you're taking steps of faith because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Make sure in your life that you are taking time to hear what it is that God has to say to you. What is God's plan? What are the directions that God desires to give to you? You know, when God gave directions to Noah, it wasn't met with complaining. And I think there was a lot for Noah to complain about. I think it was a very big job. It was a very big task that God was calling him to undertake. I think there wasn't a lot of information. I mean, there's really, as you, as you look at these verses, there's some information, but God doesn't lay out every single detail I think Noah could have thought, man, this is so unconventional. Like I said, there's no framework for me to understand, God, what you're even talking about. Maybe if you could give me some more details. 
Maybe if you could tell me what's going to happen after the storm, then I'm willing to take the step of faith. I think Noah could have been in a place where it was like, well, this, this is really coming at an inconvenient time. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I don't know what it was that Noah did before he spent his life building this ark, but you know, maybe his career was flourishing. Maybe there was a lot of upward mobility. Maybe he was just starting to develop all of these networks and, and these connections and everything was just starting to go really good for Noah. And, and it could have been you know, a possibility that Noah could have thought, hey, you know what, God, this is, uh, this is, this is great and all, but, but this isn't really convenient for me. And you know, all those responses to the commands and directions of God are a stumbling block to us. And sometimes the very things that get in the way of us following God. You know, he calls us to do something, and it's like, man, that's, that's just too big. I can't fathom where I'd even start. Or we don't have a lot of information. Or we don't understand the framework. Or maybe it's just inconvenient. You know, let me tell you what Noah did do. Noah started with one board. Noah started with one piece of wood. You know, this, t- take a look at this picture today. Now, we don't know uh, what the ark actually looked like. And some people think it was a flatter bottom than this. But these are the actual dimensions of the ark. Look at the little guy in the blue shirt underneath the ark. See that little dude? That's Noah. No, I'm, I'm just joking. It's not Noah. <laughs> but, but think about this. Look, I just want you to think about it. God's like, build an ark. and This is how big it's going to be. He did know that. Like, where does Noah start? Where does Noah start with that? You know, sometimes God calls us to do something and we just don't know where to begin. Let me tell you where Noah began. Noah began by cutting down one tree. He began by cutting down one tree and getting one piece of wood, right? And getting a hammer. Now, I know some of you are worried that I'm going to throw the hammer out today and <laughs> I'm going to throw it down, not out. No, if you don't laugh at my jokes, I might just throw the hammer out. But, but this was where he started. He had to start somewhere. You know, sometimes the, the calling can, can feel so big. Maybe today you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, and you know God has been nudging you to take that step of faith, and you're like, man, well, what, what's that going to look like? I don't have the framework. My life is pretty good. It's not a really convenient time. I wouldn't know where to start. Well, you have to start with one step of faith. You have to start by putting your trust and faith in Jesus Christ. You need to follow in the footsteps of Noah. Remember with me today, faith is something that's built over the course of time. Having a life of faith doesn't just happen. You don't just respond to the gospel and then all of a sudden become this great man or woman of faith. You don't go to sleep at night with your Bible and put it on your pillow and pray that via osmosis, somehow God's going to make you the man or the woman that he wants you to be. Listen, I've tried it. It doesn't work. It's, it, faith, faith is like a muscle, and muscles to be developed, they need to be used. Look, you can have all of the intentions of getting in shape, right? I mean, like all of us have gone through this. This year, I'm going to get in shape. This year, I'm going to lose some weight. This year, I'm going to get all toned, and, and, and that's my plan. But if you don't start working out, if you don't start dieting, if you don't start lifting weights, none of that is going to happen, And I'm just saying to you, it's the same with faith. You've got to take the steps that God has called you to take. Martin Luther King Jr. said it like this. He said, faith is taking the first step even when you don't see the whole staircase. 
Faith is taking the first step even when you don't see the whole staircase. God did not give Noah a blueprint. He did not give him uh, architectural drawings. This was not a design build with a general contractor. There were literally no details. What did he give Noah? He gave Noah the opportunity to pray and seek his face, and he gave Noah a brain. And he said, Noah, pray, use your brain, and get to work. And so I love you today. I want to say, pray, use your brain, and get to work. All right? (laughs) The second thing that we do need if we're going to have a faith that flourishes is we have to have a faith that keeps moving through the hard times. We have to have a faith that keeps moving through the hard times. I mentioned to you, uh, I mentioned this to you earlier, how difficult it was during the era of Noah. But I do want to remind you, let me just amplify that a a little bit. Noah lived during the most difficult moment in human history. Noah lived during the most difficult moment in human history. I think right now, some of us have the tendency to think, really, God? Like, why me? Why now, in the midst of all of this, why couldn't I have been born in a different time? Well, would you have liked to have been born in Noah's time? You know, would you have liked to have been born during a time where literally Noah could say it was the most challenging moment in human history? There's only going to be one more moment like that, and that's going to be during the Great Tribulation period. Now, I believe, it's my conviction, that we, the church, are going to be raptured before that and taken to be with the Lord. Somebody say amen to that today. But listen, to have a a faith that flourishes, you need to keep moving by faith through the difficult times. I think sometimes when it's difficult, it's in those moments that we want to crawl up into the fetal position, we want to isolate ourselves and close the door. You know, we want to to just stop and cease because somehow we think that's going to make things better. No, it's not. You know, what I love about Noah is the Bible says that during these challenging times, he maintained his character. In fact, the scripture says he was a just man. He was perfect in his generations, and he walked with God. What does that say to me? That says that Noah, in the midst of all of this negative influence, was a person who was unwilling to compromise with the rest of the culture. Noah was an individual who was willing to be different. He was willing to be set apart. He was willing to be obedient to God, even when everyone else around him wasn't. I mean, it might have been easy for Noah to say, you know, this is just really hard, God. I mean, really, I'm a salmon swimming upstream. I'm just going to concede. I'm going to cave. I'm going to do it like everybody else. But Noah doesn't do that. Why? Because he maintained his character in difficult times. Sometimes we don't know the condition of our character until we're put put in challenging situations where we are tempted to do the wrong thing. Noah was a man who endured ridicule. I just want you to consider this as well. He and his family, they were outcasts. They were loners. Everything that Noah was doing was a message to the world that the judgment of God was coming. Hey, Noah, what are you doing? Well, I'm building a boat because God's going to kill you all. <laughs> like, I mean, I mean, how's that for a message? That is not how you win friends and influence people, right? But this was the reality. This was the reality of what Noah was dealing with. And inevitably... He and his family endured a lot of ridicule. The Bible says in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, God did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, 
bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly. So we know, we know that Noah was willing to preach the message. He was willing to declare what it was that God was doing. And he was willing to endure the ridicule. Sometimes that comes to us as believers in Jesus Christ. And in addition to that, he was okay with being outnumbered. I can't think of a more outnumbered person than Noah. You know, scholars say that at this point in time, the global population was about six billion people. And so of all of the six billion people, you have eight individuals who are choosing to walk with God. I don't know if you've ever felt outnumbered in the workplace. You're like, man, there's only two of us believers and there's 10 of them. We'll try 5 billion, 999 million, 999,000, and 992 people, and they're on one side, and then you've got eight people on the other side, outnumbered, totally outnumbered. But you know, this is the way that God does things. As you read scripture, there's something in the Bible called remnant theology. And remnant theology means that there are times where God will allow his people to be reduced to a small number that God will allow his people to go through a time of refining so that he can prove those whose hearts are really for him. God is okay with starting over. God is okay with going small because with God, small is actually big. God did this with Noah. He started over with eight people. God did this with Abraham. I want you to think about how the Tower of Babel and the calling of Abraham are juxtaposed to each other. And you have the vast majority of the world seeking to build this tower to preserve themselves from potential judgment of God again. And what does God do? God calls Abraham. God calls Sarah. God calls two individuals who are living in the land of Ur, a polytheistic pagan culture, and God starts with their lives and gives them an amazing promise. I mean, I want you to think about David or maybe even Elijah. You remember Elijah's like, God, it's just me and there's nobody else. And he's having this pity party. And God says, no, in fact, there are 7,000 who haven't bowed their knee to Baal. And you say, well, 7,000, that's a lot. But I'm, I'm saying 7,000 in the totality of the nation of Israel. God is okay with using small. I think about Gideon. And you remember the Midianites had been just consistently pillaging the children of Israel every springtime during the harvest. And so what does God do? God says, hey, I've had enough of this, and so I'm going to raise somebody up. He picks a very unlikely individual, the least in his family, the least family of all of the families, an individual that wasn't a, a strong man in the faith. He was, he was threshing wheat in the wine press. He was hiding because he was afraid, and God selects him. And then there's a group of people, a large group of people that say, hey, we'll be part of this army. And God says, you know what? Too many people. I need, you, I need you to whittle this down. And so the number gets reduced. And God says, I need you to reduce it some more. And it gets reduced some more to the point where Gideon's got an army of just a couple of hundred of people. And God says, you know what? That's it right there. That's it right there. Because with God, all things are possible. Because with God, he doesn't need the power or the influence of the world. You know, sometimes we find ourselves in a place where it's like, God, we need bigger. God, we need bigger churches. God, we need more financial influence. God, we need larger networks. God, we need a bigger voice. How can we do what we do if we don't have these things? And God says, you know what you got? You got me. 
that's what you got, you got me. You don't need these things. Don't get me wrong when I say this. Of course, we want, we want more people saved and we want the church filled. But, but what is the church if it's filled for multiple services with a bunch of people who don't even love God? What is that? Is that powerful and mighty in the hand of God? No, God, give me a few. Give me a few whose hearts are really loyal to you, and then we will see what you can do. God doesn't need numbers. He wants hearts. God doesn't need numbers. He wants hearts. Look, I, I, I'm not, this is not a prophetic word today, but I feel like the church is being refined I feel like the, the turbulence, I believe that the turbulence that the church and our nation is walking through right now is a time of refining, it's a time of proving, it's a time of discovering if our hearts are really for the Lord. Second Chronicles 16.9 says this, for the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. When you, when you go through difficulty, and don't, I am not minimizing any of the difficulty that you might be walking through in your life right now, but when you go through difficulty, you and I discover where our heart is really at. Press through the hard times in faith. Don't abandon God. Don't forget how faithful God has been to you. This momentary suffering and affliction, Paul said, is nothing compared to the glory that is going to be revealed in us on that day. Press through the adversity. The third and final thing is this. We need to have, if we're going to have faith that flourishes, it needs to be a faith that never stops moving. I want to just tell you this last point. It's not sexy. It's not exciting. It's probably not going to you know, provoke you to a applause, but it has to be said. You and I need a steadfast faith. You and I need a faithful faith. You and I need a faith that is consistent over the course of our life. I want to give you some dad advice right now. Can I do that? I'm getting old enough where I, I think I can do that to everybody. But I, I just want you to think about this. Immediate gratification can never supersede the long-term trajectory of your faith. Immediate gratification can never supersede the long-term trajectory of your faith. When I say the long-term trajectory, I'm talking about the end point. I'm talking about you finishing strong. I'm talking about you standing before God one day and hearing him say to you, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little, now enter into the joy of your Lord. I'm talking about that day that you stand before the Lord. If you don't, listen, if you don't keep that in mind in the moment, in the moment where you're thinking, man, it would be easier for me just to concede. It would be just easier for me to compromise. It would be for easier for me to not be a Christian. It would be easier for me to be relieved from this momentary difficulty and adversity and just say yes to what I know God doesn't want me to say yes to. I want to remind you that is never the voice of God. That is always the voice of the devil. He is always going to be encouraging you to take the easy way out. He is always going to be encouraging you to take that momentary 
step of personal gratification at the expense of the long-term plan that God has for your life. In those moments, you need to remember, I'm not, you need to remember, you need to say, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to seek this gratification. I'm not going to I'm not going to make decisions that are contrary to the purpose of God just so I can be relieved from the difficulty. I'm not going to compromise just so I don't have this adversity in these interpersonal relationships. I'm not going to be disobedient to God just so I can get a little more upward mobility in the career path that I've chosen. God, I'm going to do the right thing. I'm going to do the right thing when it's hard because I know that I'm to count it all joy when I fall into various difficulties and adversities, knowing that the testing of my faith produces patience. And, and patience needs to have its perfect work because from patience comes character and from character comes true faith. God, I'm not going to compromise. I'm not going to concede. God, I'm going to continue to be steadfast. I'm going to be faithful as a Christian because, God, I want to stand before you one day and I want to look Jesus into the eyes that burn like flames of fire for me. I want to take my hands and place them in the holes in your wrists. I want to take my hand and place it in the hole in your side. I want you to place your holy arm around me and declare my name to God the Father and to all of the holy angels. Lord, I'm not going to concede. I'm not going to concede. I'm not going to compromise. I'm not going to just, I'm not going to curl up in the fetal position. I'm not going to isolate myself. God, I'm going to choose to do what's right, even though it is so hard, because Jesus, you chose to do what's right when you hung on the cross for me. You endured the cross, and you despised the shame that was for the joy that was set before you, and the joy that was set before you was my reconciliation to the Father. And so I'm going to choose to look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of my faith. I'm going to lay aside every weight and sin that so easily ensnares, and I'm going to run this race with endurance. I want to encourage you today. I want to encourage you today to keep the end in mind. You know, it's, it's easy for us. We read Genesis chapter 6, and what we don't realize is that at most, there are 75 years between the commandment given in verse 14 and the second commandment that comes to Noah in verse 1 of chapter 7. 75 years of faithfulness, board after board, in the midst of discouragement, in the midst of personal, emotional, and physical fatigue, undoubtedly there were times where it was like, Lord, I don't know. I don't know if I can, I can do this for another day. But what did Noah do? He was faithful to the Lord. He continued steadfastly through the first command so that he could, he could receive the second command when God said, hey, son, you get into the ark with your family. You know, I think in this Christian culture that we live in, people quit too easily. People quit too easily on everything today. You know, the, the job is not what you wanted, and so you quit that. Your friends aren't what you thought they would be, and so you, you know, you quit them. Your family's not what you thought it was, and so you bail on your husband or wife. The church is not meeting your needs, and so, you know, I'm, I'm out. I'll find another church, you know, that really meets my felt needs. And maybe even sometimes God. Sometimes God. Sometimes it's like, well, you know, God, you, you really, you're not working for me. <laughs> what? 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 Look, I, I'm, not, I'm not saying that, that we're, we're all unfamiliar with that feeling, but that feeling is very confused. 
God, you're not working for me. I mean, look, who is God here? Are you God or is God God? God is God. It's not, it's not a matter, it's not a matter of whether or not God is meeting our expectations. And if you feel like He hasn't met your expect, expectations, you probably need to reevaluate re your expectations. But He is God. And God deserves to be worshipped and honored and praised. And if the last thing He ever did for you was save you, it's sufficient. Maybe, maybe our faith is shallow because we have this instant success myth going on in our mind. Maybe we're unwilling to see failure as a lesson learned. Maybe we're unwilling to seek the face of God and see what it is that He has for us next. Maybe we have delusions of grandeur. I want to just simply say to you today, in your life, as you're journeying in faith, be a faithful Christian. If you make your focus faithfulness to God, He will handle everything else. You know, a number of years ago, I had the great privilege of um, spending some time with Norman Geisler, I think one of the greatest Christian minds of the 20th century, pro prolific author, responsible for raising up so many of the apologists that you may be familiar with. And I had a list of questions for him. And, you know, he probably didn't like the lunch because he just got peppered with questions. But, but the first thing I said to him is, what was this? What do you love most about ministry? What do you love most about ministry? And his response to me was, 3 John verse 4, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. He said, my greatest joy in ministry is to see people get saved and to continue steadfastly in their faith until the Lord takes them home. I'm going to wrap up this morning, uh, and I want to give you some really practical advice. Some of you may be struggling. I'm just telling you, as a pastoral team, we see a lot of people struggling in their faith. And so I want to wrap up with a very practical moment for us, and I want to give you seven tools to build your faith in difficult times. Seven tools, and you can take a picture of these. I'm going to go through them really quickly. Um, and they'll be up on the screen. Seven tools to build your faith in difficult times. And if you're not going through a time of difficulty in your faith, uh, these for sure are things that you want to remember. Number one is this, keep doing the things that make you spiritually strong. Number one is keep doing the things that, keep, that, that make you spiritually strong. Um, what does that mean? That means that you need to maintain your communion with God. That means that you need to continue praying and reading the scripture that means that you need to continue in walking in obedience. That means that you need to continue seeking the community of God's people. That means that you need to continue trusting the Lord. I'm telling you, having been a Christian for so many years, this is the very first place the adversary is going to go after. He is going to be the one there saying, you know what, you don't really need the Bible. It's not work for you. He's going to be the one saying, you know, you don't really feel like praying today, and God understands anyway, and so why don't you take, take, take a day off? He's going to be the very one saying to you, hey, that's a really hard step of, of obedience. There's probably an alternative that's a lot simpler. He's going to be the one saying to you, you know what, you don't need, to, you don't need church. Stay home and watch a football game. <laughs> Just kidding. Stay, because you know you got me pip right now. You got me picture in picture. And, you know, the message is going, but your favorite team is playing right now, too. But I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about being in a chronic state where it's like, you know what, I'm done. I'm just, I'm just done. I mean, how many times have you been in the place where it's like you have to drag yourself to church? I mean, I love you all. But there are times. 
there are times. There are times where it's just like, man, I don't feel like being around the people of God. And I want, just want to say to you, it is in those moments that you need to discipline yourself to do the right thing because it is the right thing. You know, you need to spend time in prayer. You need to have the Word of God open. You need to take that difficult step of faith. You need to be in the community of God's people. The second thing is this. Be authentic with God about the adversity that you're going through. Be authentic with God about the adversity you're going through. Unload it all. Unload it all. Look, do you really think that God doesn't know what you're thinking anyway? And some of you are like, well, he knows. I don't need to say. No, he wants you to say. It's okay to wrestle with the Lord. You know, honesty is indicative of trust in relationships. If you can't be honest with people, it's indicative of a trust issue in that relationship. And it's the same with God. If you really trust God, you are going to be honest about where you are at with Him. Pastor Tony and I were talking about this yesterday. He reminded me of Job 13, 15. And some of you will remember these words of Job. He said this, though he slay me, I will hope in him. Isn't that solid? Isn't that solid? Though he slay me, he will continue to be my hope and my trust and the one I have my faith in. But he also goes on to say, yet I will argue my ways to his face. So the whole verse is, though he slay me, I will hope in him. Yet I will argue my ways to his face. Hey, I am going to trust in him. And he may take it all away. And in Job's condition and situation, he did take it all away. He lost his physical health. He lost the majority of his family, except for God bless his wife, right? <laughs> and, and then, you know what? I mean, what kind of friends did he have in the first place? And Job's like, you know what, God? I'm yours, no matter what. I'm yours, no matter what. You're God, but I'm going to pour my heart out. I'm going to pour out the difficulty and adversity that I'm feeling right now, and I'm just telling you, man, that is the greatest therapy. If you think that you need therapy, that is the best therapy that you possibly can have, because not only will your burdens be unloaded, but the healing of God will come to your heart. <clears throat> hey, the third thing real quick, the third thing is be patient with uncertainty, please be patient with uncertainty. Don't let the unknown undermine your faith. Sometimes when the questions aren't answered, when we have a hanging why with God and we don't know what it is that God is doing, we can't see where he's taking us and it's just all a cloud around us. It's in those times, sometimes, that we begin to abandon our faith and we question God. And I just want to tell you, look, I mean, I'm in, I live in uncertainty all the time. I mean, we are regularly taking steps of faith that I have no idea how it is that God is going to answer. Our team, you know, was led by God to take this step of faith with 10,000 Bibles and, and, you know, invite churches to come. We had no clue what was going to happen, but let me tell you something, God came through like He always does. God came through. And, and I just want you to think about this real quick. Your faith is made for the unknown. Your faith is made for the unknown. It's not made for the known. If God would have given blueprints and architectural designs to Noah, what, what type of faith would there needed to be? No, it's in the uncertainty. It's when it's unclear. It's when the cloud of confusion is hanging over you. Your faith is built in that it's built for that moment because it's in that moment that you cling to the character of God. The fourth thing is this, focus on the good. Hey, please don't let yourself get stuck in despair. 
Anyone can obsess on the miserable. It takes a disciplined, spiritual person to focus on the good things that God is doing. The vortex of failing faith spins on disappointment. Stop obsessing on your disappointment and start focusing on your divine appointments, all right? The fifth thing today is surround yourself with the right people. Search Christian, surround yourself with people that are going to lift you up, not tear you down. You know, when you're struggling, you don't need to be surrounded by a bunch of gossips. Amen. <laughs> I'm just going to conveniently pause on that. All right, you don't need to be surrounded by people who are talking about every, everybody else and how, how bad this person is and how bad those people are and how, how the, this group of people has not fulfilled expectations. You don't need to be around that. You don't need to be around people who are undermining your faith and encouraging you to do something that God doesn't want you to do. No, you need to surround yourself with people who are going to lift your arms up and be a strength to you. And you know what? You need to be that person to other people. Hey, please, don't be a gossip. Don't undermine people's faith. Don't be a person that creates division within the body of Christ. Be wise about who you surround yourself with. Two more real quick. Remember, life is hard, but God is good. Okay, so I don't need to, I don't need to remind you that life is hard. You need to remember the difficulty of life, that you serve a good God who is good in all of his ways. Tether yourself to the character of God. You know, God, I'm honest with you. This is hard. I don't like this. I don't know where it's going, but God, you're good. God, God, I'm hurting right now, but I'm just trusting that you are filled with love for me and that your ways are ways of grace and that your mercies are brand new every morning and that, God, you're able to do exceedingly abundantly above all I could ever ask or think. And, God, you're that good, and I'm going to choose to remember that, and I'm going to choose to focus on that. And then finally, as you're thinking in that train of thought, remember God is the one who's holding on to you. God has got you, church, Christian. God has got you. I'm talking about the God who delivered his own son up to the cross so that you could experience salvation and deliverance and be preserved for all of eternity. I'm talking about the God that Paul was talking about, who Paul said concerning if he did not spare his own son but delivered him up for us all, how will he then withhold any good thing from us? In other words, Paul says, man, let's look at the greatest thing that God has done. God has given us his son who died on the cross for us. God loved us that much. He delivered his own son up so that we could be saved. And if, if God did that for us, he's going to handle everything else. Listen, we were singing today, and Tony led us in this refrain, not for a minute was I forsaken. Not for a minute. You know, look back on your life and consider the evidence of God's faithfulness day in, day out. And that's just what you see, all right? That is just the tip of the iceberg. The vastness of God's faithfulness will be unseen until you stand before him on that day. And then all will be known and you'll be like, oh God, oh God, you were so good even when I didn't see it. And you were faithfully working in my life. And then on that day when we sing that song, we will sing, not for a minute was I forsaken. <laughs> Jesus said this, 
Jesus said this, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hands. Let's pray together. Father, thank you. God, we thank you for your word today and we just pray that your word through the power of your Holy Spirit would influence every heart and mind in this place. Today as we're wrapping up in prayer, I wanna, we want to encourage you with two things today. The first one is this. Maybe you've never put your trust and faith in Jesus Christ. Today the truth is you're not a Christian. You've never believed for yourself that Christ died on the cross for your sins and that he rose again. You've never experienced the, the relief of having God's forgiveness in your life. You yourself have never taken that step of faith. And you know, maybe there have been a variety of things that have held you back. You've just not had the framework to understand it. Maybe it just seems so vast to you. You're, you're not sure where to start. Well, let me tell you where to start. You need to take one single step of faith today and trust in Jesus and his gospel. You need to receive him by faith. And by that I simply mean you need to, through prayer, acknowledge and confess that you've sinned against God, and then acknowledge and confess your faith in Christ and his sacrifice, which is able to lift the burden of sin for your life. You need today to choose to follow Jesus as a disciple. And today, we want to encourage you to take that step of faith. The, the fact is, God has been working in your life. Even in the, the midst of your unbelief and confusion, God has been faithful to plant people in your life to share with you the good news of Jesus. And so today, if you want to take that step of faith and you want to believe in Jesus... I want to encourage you right now to raise your hand. I want to pray for you this morning. Just very simply, I want to pray for you that God would give you the courage and, and strength to be believing today and to receive all that he has for you. And so today, if you want to believe in Jesus Christ, would you raise your hand this morning? Just stretch it up high so I can see it. God bless you right here in the back. Thank you so much. And over here on my left, thank you. And right here in the front, thank you. Over here in the back on my right, and here in the center on my right. Listen, you're not alone today in this step of faith. Not only are other people right now responding to the gospel, God is present with you, drawing you to himself. And maybe you've thought, well, this just is inconvenient. Or maybe you've thought, well, I'll put this decision off to another time. No, the Bible says today is the day of salvation. God has something for you now in this place if you will receive it. Is there anybody else? Stretch your hand up high. Let me pray for you this morning. God bless you over here on my right. Thank you. And here in the back. Thank you. You can come just as you are. Look, I mean, I came to Christ days after being put in jail. And God forgave me and cleansed me from a crazy life. If God can save me, he can save you today. Don't hold back because you think that there's too much to forgive. God takes pleasure in doing a new work in you. Raise your hand. God bless you. I see your hand in the back and over here on my right. 
You can put your hands down. The second uh, thing is this. Today, maybe as a Christian, you've, you've had a waning faith. And, and maybe for, for a variety of reasons, maybe there's been a lot of difficulty and adversity, you know, and just sincerely today, you are struggling. And you know, you might feel like you're on the place of just throwing in the towel. You need to be renewed in your faith today. You need to receive the strength of God's spirit in your life today. Will you take a step of faith? Will you raise your hand today and acknowledge that you need a fresh work of God's spirit to strengthen you in your faith? If this is you this morning, stretch your hand up high. Let me see who you are. God bless you, and God bless you. And I see your hand in the back and over here in the center. And I see your hands over here on my left. Thank you so much. He loves you. He loves you. I see your hand over here on my right. Maybe today you've been wayward. It's not just that you're feeling weak. But maybe today there are a whole host of bad decisions that you've been making. Will you come home to your heavenly father this morning whose arms are wide open to receive you because he's never stopped loving you? Today, if this is you, raise your hand. Let me see who you are so I can pray for you. Awesome. God bless you. And you, and you, and you, and you, and you. Thank you so much. And he is present today and right here in the front on my left. God wants to work in your life if you will be willing to receive. You can put your hands down. And Father, we thank you today. God, thank you for being present in this place. Thank you for speaking to hearts. We pray today that you would do a mighty work in each of these hearts that have raised their hands. God, every need today we believe that you are able to sufficiently meet through Jesus, your son. It's in his name that we pray, amen. Hey, let's all stand together today. That's <clears throat> uh, good, we're thankful. We're not done, we're not done. Listen, this is the most important part of our service. Don't leave, don't go get your coffee from beyond, don't go pick your kids up, all right? Just, I want you to stay put today. Um, today I had the privilege of praying for those of you who have raised your hands. What we're going to do now is we're going to invite you to come forward, all right, because this is what needs to happen. You need to pray. You need to pray to God. There's only one mediator between man and God, and it's not the pastor of Calvary Chapel, Las Vegas. It is Jesus Christ. And today, you need to come to God through Jesus Christ. Maybe for the very first time, you need to confess your trust and faith in Jesus and be forgiven of your sins. God is going to do that in your life today. Maybe today you need the strengthening of your faith, or maybe you've been prodigal and you need to come home to your heavenly Father. You need to be the one that prays to him. You need to unburden your soul and let God do the work in your life. And so Pastor Tony is going to lead us in a song of worship. If you raise your hand, listen, if you raise your hand, you need to walk down to the front and stand next to one of our follow-up leaders. So you can do that right now. Just begin to make your way to the front, every one of you that raised your hand, and just hang out there for a minute. I'm going to lead you in prayer. Before I spoke a word, you were singing over me. You have been so, so good to me. Before I took a breath, you breathe your life in me. Thank you, Jesus. You have been so, so kind.
fights till I'm found Leaves the night and I I couldn't earn it And I don't deserve it Till you give yourself away Thank God for what he's doing here right now. But if there's anybody else, you know, you're, you're standing right now, you know God has spoken to you, it's clear, it couldn't have been clearer that God is speaking to you and there's a step of faith for you to take, don't miss out. God has great things for you today and you say, well, I don't really need to. Well, God is calling you to. God has spoken to you. God has given you directions. Now you need to make the move. You need to take the step of faith. You need to receive what it is that he has for you, that he will joyfully fill your life with, but not if you're staying right where you're at, unwilling to move. Noah made a move. Today you need to make a move. Jesus made a move. He moved from heaven to earth. He went to the cross. He was buried. He rose again from the dead. If he can do that for him, for you, today you can take a step of faith for him. And so, listen, if there's anybody else, God's speaking to you right now. Come on forward to the front. Make, hey, you might be in the middle of a row. It doesn't matter. Just make your way to the front so we can lead you in prayer today. There's no shadow you won't light up. Mountain you won't climb up coming after me. There's no wall you won't kick down. I won't tear down coming after me. There's no shadow you won't light up. Mountain you won't climb up coming after me. There's no simple prayer and and this prayer coming from your heart through faith in Jesus Christ is going to go straight to the heart of the Father and today he is not only going to hear but I'm telling you I can guarantee you this because it is a promise found in his word he is going to work in your life and so today pray in faith with anticipation and expectation because God's going to do great things. Very simply today, 
want you to follow in this prayer. Pray this out loud after me. God, today, I choose to believe. I believe in Jesus, your son, that he is my savior, that he died for my sins, and today, through faith in him, I am forgiven, I am filled with your grace, I am your child, and I am bound for heaven, and I receive all that you have for me. In Jesus' name I pray. All God's people said, amen. Awesome. Awesome. So good. Ha, 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 ha.